You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. Hi, I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And the theme this week is the, well, it's not the theme, Uh, we're talking about the engineering phase of the project. So Scott, you might want to lead us in with that. Okay, so um, take a seat. Get a beer because <laughs> it gets a bit boring around this. Oh, well, Scott's been telling me this is the boring phase, but look, I don't know anything about <laughs> it, so it's going to be goal. absolutely amazingly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> look, we 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 ended off uh, last. Well, well, Hamish did a, a naming um, section in between, but uh, prior to that, we were doing talking about the or the design phase, which is, I guess, the the more exciting part of it. You know, you're uncovering new fields, you're discovering which way to go, and all the rest of it. It's quite exciting and. You know, when you come up with solutions, it can take a while, but when you get one, it's really quite satisfying. And then I guess now what we have to do is really make it work. So there's a, there's a step before the stage, which I'll just quickly cover off, and it's a, it's a final concept, which I normally do, which really, for me, it's probably not everyone does it, but I do it because it's uh, it's much easier to do a sketch or quicker to do a sketch than it is to do CAD. CAD's, CAD is a computer computer-aided design that's what your models uh, or your project is made into and it's a it's a you know computer program that makes a, a physical model of your or not a physical model a, a data model of your of your product but I like to draw the yeah we come up with initial concepts which show the way to go and then we we find a direction out of that through market you know what we've done in the market research and what the client wants and what our final goals are and I like to do a final concept which really draws that part up but really goes into nuts and bolts how it's made and then I use that to develop CAD models and by doing that stage you sort of uh, explore the ways things can be made because if you just plug into CAD you can go round and round in circles trying different options for how the how the parts can be made how it's going to go together how it's going to lock on how it's going to lock off all that sort of business so by doing a sketch you can sort of really really um, conclude all those issues before you start on the CAD so the CAD is computer-aided design, as I, as I mentioned, and so you model up all of the different parts of your product and assemble them so you can find out how they fit together, how they open, how they shut, all that sort of business. It's really time-consuming and it's a crucial part of the project because the CAD models uh, are what you use to, pro- to do make, make prototypes and, and the tooling to make the parts and manufacture. So yeah, it's crucial, you can't get away from it. It used to be done in 2D, which was a nightmare because... 2D is so easy to misinterpret. You know, 2D skip, no, 2D drawings on a page used to be done with a draftsman. They were covered in black lines and d- drawings and dimensions, and you could barely see the actual actual part because there's so many so many notations on it. These days, we do it in a what they call 3D solid modelling, and uh, you know, we we have to sort of get this uh, this 3D mod- modelling software, which allows us to do the part in a 3D model, and and that means all the data for the part is captured within within this with this data model and that can be used to create 3d printed parts mill parts you know we do a lot of milled parts for prototyping uh, and also the tool um, sorry just when you say mill parts yep so you know there's uh, milling machines that actually take it's called subtractive prototyping where they take material off a block of material mm-hmm. whereas 3d printing is additive where they actually add the material to nothing basically so they just right. build it from nothing okay uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a resin that's cured by laser or by um, UV light or whatever it might be cured by and it just basically builds up off a platform uh, and it's called additive because each layer is adding to the next one okay. the subtractive is you take a block and you're taking part taking material off to get the end result 
So yeah, that's that's all crucial to care development. Um, it, it's quite time consuming. Um, clients always say, you can just make this little change and, and I just about fold into myself because I know there's another two weeks worth of work involved in making that little change. But you know, it's, it's crucial, you have to do it. It's it's definitely uh, one of the most laborious jobs, uh, but you're still learning, so you can't really farm it out. You have to be, you know, the inventor ha- or the inventor or the, you know, the designer has to be involved with it because mm. if you farm it out, it's gonna get misinterpreted from the con- concept to the final. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly things you refine in that design through the CAD, so how, how a hinge works, how a locking mechanism works or whatever, mm-hmm. how two parts interact and snap together. So yeah, it's crucial, time consuming, but it's basically, from this point on, the CAD development, it's the engineering phase. It's the it's there's no more re- major redesign. It can be small redesigns where you know you might have a feature you add in to, to make it to enhance it or whatever, but you really don't want to be redesigning anything major at that point because the, to change the CAD's mm. you know, incredibly and I suppose just consuming. Just to interject there, I'm sure everyone is enjoying all that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just trying to say, wake up! No, 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 no. It's all, it's all fascinating stuff. No, but it's interesting when you're talking about prototyping. Are, are you? And I've never had this discussion with you, but are you taking into consideration the image of the product or the brand of the product when you're designing? Because I know when you're talking about uh, when you're looking at say top end products. Yeah. Um, you know what what differentiates a, a very expensive product from a cheap product and often it's the feel of it it's 100%. the weight of it it's the way something yeah. opens on it and yeah. shuts on it it's the way it clicks yes. i mean when you're looking at uh, again i think we've used this analogy before we're looking at cars uh, if you have something like a bentley or a rolls royce they they will spend a lot of time looking at how glove boxes open and close yeah. the dampening on those sorts yeah, of things the, the dampening on the mechanisms because that's their their whole image is reliant on every little piece in exactly. that vehicle behaving in a particular way is that what you're taking consideration uh, 100%, yeah like okay. it's sort of almost taken in at the concept stage but because even even the way you apply form to a product you know more angular parts are masculine more rounded parts are female so you have to be doing that at the initial initial stages. So, yeah, it's all thought all the way through. We'll even add weight to a product which is quite light just to give it that feeling of quality. So okay. there's, there's definitely... Fill it with lead. It's, it's, yeah, no. a little bit of lead in there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, definitely even thickness as a material. If you've got a real hot, you know, really highly commodity-based product, you might have really thin walls on it mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a cheap material. You know, If you've got a quality product, you'll have thicker walls and you use a high-end material with a better finish and all the rest of it. You can polish the tools or leave them, leave them uh, with a with a fine spark finish or something. It definitely comes into it. Or everything comes into it. Uh, when you pick up a product, there must be there's probably a thousand cognitive cues that happen when you pick it up, mm. which relate to feel, softness, warmth, weight, how how it clicks open, clicks shut, how the speed at which it comes open. We put. We'll put binocular grease on certain joints to make them open in a certain slow fashion. You know, you know, like your your little sunglasses uh, holder in your car. You know, you push the button and it comes down slowly from the roof. Mm-hmm. That's just two gears with binocular grease on them, and so they just they don't want to turn as quickly as if they had no grease on them. So little things like that we add into it, and 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 I'll design a mechanism around how I want them to act. Okay, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so yeah. So yeah. That's that's, that's, that's very interesting. Then so it, it's not a case of. <laughs> So branding and image management really happens at the beginning of these projects 
uh, I suppose if you're getting to an engineering phase and you've got no idea, that's obviously not the case. You're, someone is actually making decisions at that point. Definitely. So depending on, and this would relate with price more so than anything is what price point would this product sit in and what decisions can be made yeah. to make it look as if it is conforming to that price point. So if something is going to be a little bit more expensive, it has to feel more expensive and likewise going the other way. Or if it's a yeah. mid-market yeah. product, uh, yeah. it, it's not going to be either cheap or expensive. So there's a lot of perception management there. 100% perception okay. is a big thing. We, we, there's a number of products uh, you'll see on the market and simply the way they're packaged, um, and that doesn't mean just the, the package they're in, mm. but the way they're designed is, mm-hmm. is also part of the package that is being produced. Is a very big part in, in the price point, you know, where it sits in the, in, the, in the price in the market as far as price point goes. So, mm-hmm. we've definitely done uh, lighting products where you can go to the hardware and buy a uh, fifty dollar equivalent, and uh, we design it in different materials and different processes. Doesn't cost any more to make it, but it looks far more advanced, and you'll sell it for four times the price. It's just simply a way of positioning things in the market, and there's nothing, no no reason you can't have to have three versions. The manufacturer might decide to do a top inversion, mm-hmm. have the same running gear and a middle inversion, and the same gear and a, a low inversion, just package it differently with different outers. So yeah, definitely, definitely comes into it. We've definitely had products. You know, if you're going to a market where it's highly scientific, you may add totally irrelevant bodywork to that thing and, and different materials simply to make it look scientific. And you might be able to get away with doing exactly the same thing in a square box but you'd be mad to because the perceived value would be you know far less and you couldn't sell it for what it's worth so, so, just to, so to, a, to attract the geeks <laughs> that's it that's it, that's it. We, did, we had a mining product and you know you could have just plunked a box on the outside of it but we dollied it right up put a nice case on it and mm. that was a that was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar product mm. so you had to make it look yeah and it's funny because if you went to those market. markets and asked them whether image was a concern they'd always that's say no exactly. but really when it comes down to it everyone uh, is concerned with image and everyone is concerned with yeah. what they associate with yeah. so it's, uh, it's all in that situation with engineering people always say at some point a non-engineering person is going to buy that product and it looks <laughs> like rubbish yeah and it doesn't work well and then he goes back to his manager or CEO and and, and has to explain the CEO is going to look at it look it looks like rubbish why did you buy this piece of yeah, well, I suppose that, that's the other, that's the other <laughs> side of branding too. Is who you who do you need that product to be sold to? So it's uh, that's, that's always an interesting one. Is you're not necessarily selling to the. Uh, you, it depends on who your economic buyer is. So that's a, it's another interesting comment. Yeah, about who you're trying to convince. It didn't work with yeah. you, well, you couldn't be you couldn't be blamed. It looked right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Excellent. So I guess once you've done the CAD, you know you have the 3D models. You can actually then physically produce this product to test it. So. There's so many different ways of doing that now. Uh, 3D printing is probably the most commonly known one now. It's become very popular in, in the uh, in uh, like popular culture. Everyone knows about it, but it's been around for a, a long time. I think mm. 20 years ago when I started the consultancy, I did the first um, uh, UAV for, for Boeing in 3D printed um, a 3D printing uh, SLA process. And you know it's it's advanced a lot. Everyone says, "Oh, now manufacturing is going to become done," and, and some manufacturing is done with three D printing. There's certain things that are really efficient when you do three D printing, but generally, if you want to produce a really low cost product, you injection mold it or you die cast it or something rather, because it's just very quick. The setup is more expensive, but the parts way way cheaper and mm. much faster to make. I mean, if you look at a say, if I looked at a, a cup, a typical coffee cup, you'd probably take three hours to print that. Mm. Whereas if you injection molded it, 
it'd be 20 seconds mm. you know so you can uh, you can make hundreds of thousands in the time you can make 20 of the 3d printed parts so certain things where you've got internal structures they're really really good for a lot of aeronautical parts are made with 3d printing mm-hmm. especially titanium printing where they're trying to get lightweight and make a, a internal structure you can't do that through general manufacturing processes because you can't get inside and take the tool out of it again without destroying the part but if you want a really lightweight product you know you, you mimic a, a wing of a, a bone of a wing a wing and a, and a, and a, um, and a bird which is all uh, very thin and fine and light and full of internal webbing so you can do that with aeronautical product which then makes that process efficient mm-hmm. but what we use it for is we use it for um, first of all testing so if everything today even the CAD is theory you can test certain things in CAD you've got section tools and you know even FEA tools to, to test structure and strain and stress and everything and you can obviously make little animations to see how things clear when they open and all that sort of business. But in the end, it's still just a model on a screen and you can't actually physically hold it and use it. You don't even know what size it is really, to be honest, to a certain degree. So you make a prototype and prototypes can be anything from, I've done things where I've grabbed a teat from, a, from, a, um, from the chemist and just put it into a bottle and see, to see whether something would actually work. I call it a proof of principle, G, just to prove a theory. And that can be, a, like I said, a $2 teat from a, Thing to, to prove an idea and they can go right up to a fully you know functional engineered and manufactured part that looks exactly like a, a final production part mm-hmm. um, but yeah a, a proof of principle is really really useful quite often I do them and don't even tell show the client because they're pretty rough and ready and I'm just proving that a certain thing's going to work and then you can go to a 3d printed model it's fairly, fairly cheap and easy you can turn it around pretty fast and you can get a fairly good idea of how it all snaps together and what it feels like in your hand and then we work all the way up to obviously there's different levels. You can do titanium. You can do you can even grow you know um, human membranes off a 3D printer. So there's lots of things you can do with it. But for us, we so that's what you're doing. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I keep well away from anything human. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but so we, no, we, we no do genetic a, engineering here. No, we do a lot of um, <laughs> we've used a lot of milling in the, in the past. So okay. um, quite often we we need to use the prototype not only to test it but also to demonstrate it to a boardroom or a video, create a video from, uh, get market feedback, you know, so it really has to look like the final manufactured part. So if you mill a part, you can use the materials that it might be manufactured from and then you can have it painted or you can, you know, just finish it in a way that looks pretty. You can make clear acrylic parts that are, that are crystal clear, that come out of the parts crystal clear. They look everything like an existing, the final manufactured part. So a lot of times people pick it up and think, you know, how many of these can I have tomorrow? Mm. And so well, that actually isn't manufactured anymore. Like, what is this? Well, it's a, it's a milled part. Yeah. So it's really, really useful for demonstrations. So I've been to, I've had deals go ahead because the prototype's been so good. And, and others, I've seen other people come in with printed parts and they just, they just don't get taken up because quite often you're presenting to people who don't have the vision to sort of see past the single coloured raw cream fragile 3d printed part you know they just can't see the actual what the actual final product would be even though you've got graphics with it and everything so mm. we find that putting a really smick final looking product which is painted and beautiful in front of people that people can actually use and even go and test um, really beneficial and it is more expensive it's about you know, 30% more expensive 40% more expensive takes a little bit longer but the down the line benefits are enormous and mm. so it easily pays for itself mm. through, so again you're, you're really deals. you're really selling to different audiences 
all the way along your project. Uh, I mean, first of all, you're selling to yourself, I suppose, is the idea good enough. Then you're selling to someone like you, Scott, or you know, someone like me, you know, are we willing to take on this project? And then all of a sudden you're selling to investors and then you're selling to people that might want to license it and take yeah. it on. So yeah. at every point, there's a design stage and an idea stage, but there's also a marketing process that accompanies that. Even yeah. if you don't want to acknowledge it, there will be a marketing process there. 100%. We've even used prototypes to secure orders. So you take your prototype along to your big retail chain and you put it in front of them and you secure an order from that prototype. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to look like when it's manufactured. It's going to how it's not going to operate. You go and test it. You're happy with it. You go and even show your customers and test it and see, see if they're happy with it. If they're all happy with it, they'll actually put a memorandum of understanding uh, that they'll take X amount of units. And you can actually even use that to bridge line um, to do your tooling, pay for your tooling costs and things. That's how powerful that is. Okay. To, to do a very, That's interesting. A very useful uh, mm. final prototype. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Because that whole that whole people can get themselves to a certain point, and then they almost always need some sort of help financially to get to the point where they can go and mm. buy tools which can be very expensive place the first order people don't often consider that but you usually when you when you're doing mass production you have to order you know between depending on the product you know between 1000 and 10000 units generally sometimes hundreds of thousands of units um, i think the minimum order for a, for to produce a, a, a unique packaging for, uh, for a, a beer bottle is 20 million <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> to, make it, to make it efficient you know, yeah, to buy it. Yeah. So you don't want to make nice of things. But the purchase of that those parts can be something that people don't budget for. No. And it can put them in a big hole. Yeah. But if you've got a if you've got a, a memorandum of understanding to say that that someone a, a reputable company will take X amount if you if you fill the order, then you can you know, go along to a bank and say this is this is what I need to do to get that point and you might get a bridge loan mm. for that. Or or then you go and see an investor and get an investor involved. Mm. But it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, if it's a two dollar product and you've got to buy ten thousand of them, that's something you it's may a, not have budget. That's a, it's a lot of money, and yeah. it's generally not a two dollar product. It's usually no. a fifteen dollar product. Yeah. No, so the marketing <coughs> process is is vital. So uh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. So further to that, two D control drawings. You know, in order to get a, the tools made, once you've once you've done the prototype and you've tested it, everyone's happy with it. You can then progress to getting a quote for the tooling to make those parts. And so to do that, we we always use two D two D control drawings. 2D control drawings are more and more a stage people will avoid or, or skip because it's cheaper not to do it. But in, we never skip it, uh, and there's a few reasons for that. It's basically the recipe for how you make the part. So 3D, 3D models, although they can be annotated um, to a degree, you really, the, the tool maker on the other end, you don't want them guessing about anything, where the part line is, um, what the finish on the product's going to be like, what what colour, what percentage of you know what how you're going to do the colour process, whether it's going to be master batch or powder batch or the rest of it, all these things have to be controlled in a, like a recipe on a 2D control drawing. They accompany the 3D data. You can actually just take the 3D data that I've produced the prototypes with and make a tool mold with it. But there's a lot of things in there like what material is going to be running it, and that's going to affect the shrinkages. So they have to adjust the tool to make certain shrinkage for certain materials so they need to know that so if you don't have that on there you're already, already behind the eight ball if you don't have the surface finish on it you might get a gloss part when you wanted to find a nice nice uh, satin finished part you know there's there's a thousand different things that need to be critical dimensions some some things have to be critical others don't two mating parts might need a tolerance in there you have to draw that tolerance on that, on that drawing so that the tool is aware oh, i have to be very careful at this point and make those two mating parts correct 
So there's all these things. If you if you avoid that step and then you get the manufacturer to make these things and you get a shipment of 60,000 of these parts on your doorstep and they're not and quite it doesn't right. Make quite right. What, what <laughs> document have you got to go back to and say, mm. you didn't follow this step. You know, you've given me gloss when I want a fine spark finish or a satin finish. You know, I find it a very a very important document, not only to guide the tool maker, but also for legal ramifications if something goes wrong in the transport. Quite often these these parts are being made overseas, you know, and so your own chance of seeing them, even though you might use quality control people on, on, on the other end, mm-hmm. um, your instruction to that quality control person is really all you're relying on. The, the container turns up on your doorstep, that's the first time you see it, mm. other than maybe a couple of samples that come through. Mm. So really important step, very, very boring part of it all. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, I know, we, we joke no, and say that it, it is boring, but it's it's one of those things that has to be controlled exactly. it's like everything in, in this process yeah. with getting off to market is uh giving it some thought uh making sure that you're covering everything and, and that's why it's uh important to use experts and people who have done this before because it's uh yeah there's a, it can be a minefield mass production those little details are very very important mm. um so you can do those use those three 2d drawings to go and get quotations so we we always try and get a variety of quotations um you know, there's there's the, the, the go-to forever most time, let's go to China and do it. Well, sometimes that's not the most efficient way to do it. I, I love to do everything I can here in Australia. It's not always possible. Like, you know, there's certain things we just can't mm. compete against. But whenever I can, whenever I have a, a product or a service supplier who can compete, I always try and get them in the mix. Because there's there's nothing worse than me having to go overseas to solve a problem. It's just expensive, it's, it's yeah. disruptive. No one wins out of it, so it's, it's, if you can just drive up the road there and talk to your supplier, the benefits are enormous. You don't have exchange rate issues, you know, if you're doing something in China uh, two years ago when we had parity with the US dollar, mm. all, all Chinese contracts are paid in US dollars. Yes. All China's interested in doing is bringing US dollars into China. And so they, every, every contract I ever deal with in China, except for maybe one, one of my contacts who's become you know very, very close associate, good friend. Um, He'll sometimes quote me in Australian dollars, uh, but every other supplier I've ever dealt with is US dollars. Two years ago when we were at Parity, um, you know, your product was costing the same amount of Australian dollars as it was US dollars. Uh, now that we're 0.75, you know, you're paying another 30% for your product. And so that can vary all over the place. There's also things like insurance, as you're a tool insured in another country, all that sort of stuff. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of control. You're very much over the barrel when it comes to how you get that part back or the tooling back and everything. So you've got to consider all these things holistically. And, and I'll sit down with my clients and I'll just look at all the different options. We'll get three or four different quotes from different different sources internally and externally. And we'll sit there and we'll just, um, <coughs> you know, toss it, toss up the pros and cons on each. Mm. And, and quite often you'll find that doing it in Australia can actually work out better. Mm. And just a, just a really interesting point, Scott, I'm not sure whether you're aware of it, but uh, just talking about a well-known fishing brand that we have had dealings with, you know, a lot of people said, why don't they just take their tooling to China to get it manufactured there? So taking the equipment from here to China, mm. the other way around, mm. apparently you, you're not allowed to do that. In China, they have a law which pre- prevents you from doing that. You have to actually get all your tooling done in China if you want to manufacture in China. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know that law. I've, I've definitely well, shipped, not a law, shipped, but it's certainly that's the that, that's their preference. Of course, they want to do the tooling in China. Yeah, there's there is some some issues sometimes bringing your tools out of China because mm-hmm. there's 
there's um, really when you specify your tooling in China, you have to specify either export or internal because mm. if you design a, 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 a tool in China um, and you don't specify it has to be export quality, then you might have a process in there that they put a manual process into it rather rather than an automatic process. So because labor is cheap in China, you can quite often substitute a person for a, for a mechanism. And so, you know, if you go to bring that part across here, you won't be able to run it efficiently because you've got a guy standing there or a lady standing there the whole day just operating a mechanism that right. would, would normally be done here automatically. And also some of their machinery is a little bit different so it won't fit into an Australian machine. So you have to be a little bit careful about bringing tools out of China and, and also specifying the type of tool you want to made in China, especially mm. tool steels and everything can vary a lot up there. Mm. But I don't know of any rule that you can't take it up. But I do know of some rules where there's a bit of ambiguity if, if you do design in China. Sometimes that can be a little bit dodgy as far as who owns the rights to that, even if you've got a patent. So uh, I'm not a, a lawyer or an attorney, so I can't really talk about that too much, but I know you have to ask someone about I that. I think all yes. we're doing here is making sure... <laughs> highlighting everyone, some issues. We're, we're highlighting some issues, that's right. No, yeah. but I think, I just think it's a bit of a throwaway line, has been for a number of years, is yeah. if you want something done that's cheap, just simply go to China. But I just think, yeah, from talking to you over the last few months and uh, other manufacturers uh, that, I, that I deal with, yeah, it's not, not, it's not as straightforward. No, it's not it's a case of just saying, oh, yeah. great, let's just send yeah. it to China. Yeah. I think there's a lot involved. doesn't yeah. matter where you send it. Yeah. I think it's smart to do all your design work here, mm-hmm. not let the uh, external parties do any of the design because then, of course, you've got this, who owns the idea mm. happening going on. Um, so, yeah, very good to get, you know, people who are sitting beside you to do the design work, I think. Mm. It's much easier to translate across and then send that finalised design and control drawings and data all finished and tested up to China. Don't try and do the design stuff up there. I think it's wrought with danger. That's pretty much, um, once you get the quotes back, of course, then you, you, you basically have to try and finance it. So <clears throat> unless you've um, sort of got the money aside, you need to sort of go and try and do some commercialisation work to make sure that you can justify spending the money on tooling. And you, and you really should have been doing that a little bit earlier than almost at the concept stage. You know, you're proving the market wants it, you're doing the prototype, you're proving that it works, you've solved the problem, you've got your patents in place, and then you go and talk to commercialisation entities, which is a whole other game. Which we okay. might even address at another time, you think, or another podcast. Yeah, let's do that. I think people have. Um, it's yeah, a big, it's a big game that one. Yeah, I think people want to grab, grab, a, grab a coffee and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a boring part of <laughs> product development, and it's boring for me too. Don't worry, it's very laborious. No, no, it's all and fascinating. It's, and it's, it really uh, it's tough, hard yards after you get past the design period. I'm a, yeah. I'm a creative person, so I enjoy mm. the design design aspects, but the engineering's just hard slog. Yeah, <laughs> but, but crucial. Absolutely crucial. As, as you probably found out. Yep. through that. All right, so let's, uh, in the next episode, we'll talk about... Commercialisation, uh, manufacturing, trade agreements, partnerships, and uh, how you make some money on this product. And wow. Whether, and whether it was actually worth doing or whether you should have gone on holiday. Yep. <laughs> R- rivers of gold next week. Perfect. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.